Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that all these things God will bring you in God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. There it is. All right, thank you. That was my fault. Uh, That's our passage that we are going to start with this morning, Ecclesiastes 11, and then we're going through chapter 12, verse 8. This is the second to last sermon in Ecclesiastes. So um, if we're making a trip east coast to west coast, we've just crossed the California line. And um, next week we'll hit the beach and we'll finish up Ecclesiastes. Uh, This morning, uh, just a couple things to pass along. I want to encourage you to be praying for Lonnie Bell. Uh, He's in the hospital with a COVID pneumonia, and his oxygen levels were way down. I talked to Marion this morning, and he's on uh, a double stack of oxygen. I don't understand all the terminology for that, but two lines instead of one. The doctors say he's moving in the right direction, but it could be a week and a half, two weeks. So let's just pray for Lonnie. Let's pray for healing. Let's also pray that God would encourage his heart um, as he goes through this time, that God would keep Marion and encourage her as well. Perhaps a phone call or a a card to her would be an encouragement. Uh, One other thing, I just walked in the auditorium, and on the table there is a Christmas Bible reading plan, and I know that this is probably geared a little bit more towards younger folks, but uh, let me just encourage you, take a look at one of these. There weren't a ton left, so maybe there will be more next week. Um, If you're doing family devotions, this could be a great Bible reading uh, calendar for you. Uh, On a daily basis, it's got 30, 31 days here. So I saw that, thought I'd pass it along. I hope that's okay with our children's ministry and all that there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to guide us through our study again. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your inspired word for us to study, and it's good for us. You are sanctifying us. You're setting us apart unto yourself by your word because your word is truth, and so we thank you for the gift of your word. Please apply it to our hearts and our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So young people, this portion of Ecclesiastes is really specifically for you. In verse 9 of chapter 11, Solomon says, rejoice, O young man. And then later on in chapter 12, which we are getting to in the second half of the sermon, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Now I'm not going to argue with you what the age of youthfulness is. If you're feeling youthful, this is for you. But I'm thinking a lot about our young people that are in here this morning. Our church loves you. Our church longs to see you be fearless in this world. There's a lot that we see as adults going on in this world that has changed. Our hope is that you will go into this world being fearless because of your hold on the bigness of God. You're holding on to God. Um, We want you to receive the word and to trust the word, but this is something that you 
have to do for yourself. You've heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink it. And so as a church, we aim to bring the word to you. We aim to bring you to the word. And now we, we pray that you would receive the word and live by it. So this portion, I want you to know, and this sermon is kind of geared towards you today. Um, it's not just hey, it's for youth, but there's a specific task here that you ought to be aware of. Young people, he says twice in here that you are to have joy. So in verse eight, he says, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. And then verse nine of chapter 11, he says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. So this passage is written to young people, but he wants you to remember that you are supposed to have joy. Today, you are supposed to be a joyful young person. Like, uh, let me step back and say that because that almost sounds like um, maybe this burden in a weird way. Young people, here's the hope. God has created you with the capacity and the pathway to walk in joy this morning. If you think about it, so many of your decisions are determined by whether or not something is fun or joyful. For example, the friends you choose are determined by whether or not you think you are going to have a fun time with them. The movies you watch. Um, my kids don't want to watch the same movies I watch because I like boring movies, apparently. They like fun ones. Uh, the sports that you participate in, they're supposed to be enjoyable for you. Uh, the books that you read, the music that you listen to, the projects that you take on, all of those things that you enter into, if to what extent you're given the freedom to do those things, if mom and dad say, okay, you have the freedom to do this, you're making those decisions because you think they're enjoyable to do. Um, I used to think that joy was simply a matter of my circumstances, and this is a big error that you need to be aware of. Uh, in my life, personally, the summer of eighth and ninth grade were two of the hardest summers of my teen years. We had just moved to a new neighborhood, so there were no friends in the neighborhood, nobody our age there. Uh, my dad was a church planter, so we had no youth group uh, growing up. Uh, my older brother, he got his driver's license, started working, and so it was just me and my younger brother through those summers, and we were bored, um, just down a lot of times. If you would have shown me these two verses, if you would have shown me Hey, rejoice, O young man, in the days of your youth. Have joy in the days of your youth. I think it would have been like a right hook that came at me. Because those days, as I look back to the summers, they were not enjoyable. And some of you are going through seasons of life right now where you are struggling. You're struggling to have joy. Some of you are struggling for joy because you're wrestling with your parents over things that you think they don't understand. So there's that conflict between you and mom and dad. You're struggling with joy because you're looking at yourself as a person and you're thinking, I'm never gonna be like the popular people who always have a smile on their face. You're struggling with joy because home is chaotic, perhaps. Maybe you're worried that your parents are going to get a divorce. Maybe there's an issue, a secret issue that you're struggling with. You look at your life and you're just like, I see myself complaining and grumbling about life more than I see myself 
having joy. And then, Pastor Nate, you're telling me that the Bible says, have joy, O young man. Yes, that's what the Bible says. And so we come to this, and God is going to give us commands that are for our good and for his glory. And when he says, young man, rejoice in the days of your youth, he has created you with the capacity, the ability to put a smile on your face and to have joy in your heart, young and old this morning. But young man, young woman, he's created you with that capacity. He's designed you that way. And now it's a command, be joyful. And it's not simply here in Ecclesiastes, it's throughout Scripture. Philippians 4, verse 4, familiar text. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Sometimes we think that word rejoice is just sing, but it has the idea of be joyful. Be joyful in the Lord always, and again, I will say be a joyful person. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's a question. Would you describe your joy as being a full joy? Would you say it's, it's where it could be or should be biblically? Moses tells the people of Israel that God's judgment was going to come on them in Deuteronomy 28, verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. And so you look at that passage in the Old Testament, and it's clear from the the range of scriptures that we're reading that God desires and commands that we would be people who take steps of obedience, take steps of obedience into the area of joy. And again, the question is like this, well, what about my circumstances? Because if my circumstances aren't joyful, then how can I have joy? I think it's a fair question. But what God is showing us throughout Scripture, and we've looked at this before, is that my circumstances don't determine my joy. Yes, I can be sad at times about things that are going on, but I am not a victim of my circumstances. What determines my joy is my walk with the Lord in the middle of those circumstances. So if you're here and you're saying, I'm not joyful, your eighth and ninth grade summer sounds like my life. Circumstances are not great. The lesson that we need to learn is, I need to be walking with the Lord and holding on to him because he is my joy in the middle of these circumstances. Let's define joy for just a moment. What is joy? I'll keep it simple for you. A deep delight in my heart that flows from my relationship with God. A deep delight in my heart that flows from my relationship with God. And if we were to go back to Philippians 4.4, be joyful where? Be joyful in the Lord always. So where is this joy coming from? It's coming from my walk with the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Jesus' words, these words have I given to you that your joy might be full. It comes from my relationship and my obedience to God. 
So if I would say about myself that I'm not a joyful person, then there is a correlation to my lack of joy in my relationship with the Lord. I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm not walking or keeping in step with him because joy is a result of my relationship with the Lord. Now, in Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon walks through this, and there are four steps, if you will, for enjoyment. Uh, Step number one, these are our four points. Young person, enjoy life by remembering that you're going to get old, okay? (laughs) Enjoy life by remembering that you're going to get old. All right, so look what he says here in verse seven. He says, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. You go outside on a spring day, and you enjoy your time out there. On a hot summer day, you go down to the lake. The sun is shining. It's just a sweet time. And and this is what Solomon is saying. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He continues on. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice. This is that first command. But how does he do this? Verse 8 goes on to say in this wisdom literature, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and all that comes is vanity. Okay, so he's used this picture of light earlier to reference like good life. And now he uses the words here, days of darkness. Um, This is the winding down of life. These are the hard years of life where you won't be able to enjoy the days of life that you have right now the same way when you're 75, 85, 90. For years, elderly people have been saying things like, hey, young people, life flies by. Or don't take your youth for granted because when you get to my age, you can't do things like you once did. Those are the years kind of of darkness. And you need to know that. Solomon is saying, here's just some simple truths here. Light is sweet. Life is sweet. Days of darkness are coming. Just this past week, we had our extended family at our house. There were four generations of folks there. My grandma, my parents, me and my siblings and spouses, and then the kids. So I turned to my grandma as she was on her way out yesterday. She's 88. And I said, "Uh, I hope this isn't the last time you come. And she said, well... I'm 88, not sure if I'll make it back or not. The reality is she's the last surviving grandma for me. Once she dies, all of us move up one rung on the ladder. And it just keeps happening. And young folks, soon you will be at the second rung on the ladder, at the third rung on the ladder. Soon you will be at the top rung on the ladder. And so Solomon is saying, these are good days for you. You're going to be like your old grandma someday. I mean, that's the reality of it. Time does not stop. So the psalmist said in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. One author said it this way, don't waste any time. Instead, make a conscious effort to rejoice every day and all the more by remembering that the days of darkness will be many. Um, just simply this. Solomon would have you know the realities of life that you're not always going to be young. 
So enjoy life by remembering or knowing that it's going to fly by. You only get your 12th year. You only get your 14th year. You only get your 16th year once. So enjoy this. Now he develops it a little bit further. Point number two. Young person, enjoy life by remembering that God will bring you into judgment. Look at verse nine. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes here. Um, You might think, Solomon, have you sort of lost it here? You're telling young people to enjoy their life and to let their heart cheer them, to walk in the ways of their heart, and to walk in the sight of their eyes. So, young people, is Solomon giving you freedom to dive into anything that you want to right now? Is he saying, hey, there's the prodigal son who looked at life apart from his parents and said, that's what I want to go do. That's where my heart is. So I'm going to give my heart into that and go do it. Do you have the freedom to dive into sinful enjoyments and disrespect your parents and live a promiscuous life? Well, look what he says at the end of verse 9. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so Solomon can look at his son who is there, and he says, son, God has created you with the capacity for joy. Now go and enjoy life under the hand of God. But know this, one of the guardrails, one of the safety barriers that you have to keep in mind is that you will stand before God someday and give an account. So Matthew 12, verses 35 and 36, talks about this judgment. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people give account for every careless word they speak. And so if it's down to the very careless words that are spoken, God will give, you will give an account for everything that you do. We're accountable to God. So this accountability to God is this safety barrier where you should be saying, okay, God, you've given me things to enjoy. You've given me the capacity to have friendships. You've given me the capacity to enjoy a good book. You've given me the capacity to just enjoy life right now. But I shouldn't be doing it in such a way that is going to be disobedient to you. So when I was in high school, I worked at a Chevy dealership. And there was this brand new Chevy Tahoe. It was black. It was parked right outside of the garage. And it belonged to the manager of the dealership. And folks would bring their cars to the garage, and they would need a ride back to work or to their home. And the manager of the dealership would throw me the keys and say, this person needs a ride. So here's this beautiful brand new Tahoe. I jump in the Tahoe and it smells new. That person jumps into shotgun, they're riding next to me, and I'm driving very carefully and have to have a good report from the customer back to the manager, didn't wanna push their buttons or anything. I drop them off. Every trip, I had a passenger with me half of the trip, right, there, and then on the way back, it was just me in this brand new car. Or it was me in the brand new car on the way to the person to pick him up and bring him back to the dealership. So the manager is saying, here are the keys, Nate. 
I've never driven a brand new car right off the lot for people before. And I'm looking at it saying, that would be enjoyable to do. Okay, here's the keys. Go out, take your trip, and then you come back. Now, on the way back when the customer's not in the car, guess what I want to do with the Tahoe? I want to push it to 110. I want to see what this baby will do. I want to go mudding, go two-tracking. I want to have some fun, throw this thing in four-wheel drive, and just enjoy it. But I can't. I can enjoy the Tahoe to the limits of accountability. I know that I have to come back and drop the keys into Rod Putney's hand and say, here are the keys of the truck. And if it's got mud splashed all over the side, or if it's overheating because I've pushed it too hard, I have an issue. Okay, so here is this responsibility that God is giving to you, young people. Enjoy life. Have joy in life. So this afternoon, you go home, and if you're grumbling and complaining, there's no reason for that because God has given you youth, and he's given you things to do. He's given you the capacity for enjoyment. So if your parents will let you watch a football game, watch the football game. If they'll let you go outside and play outside, go and play outside. If they've got a book for you to read that's enjoyable, read the book. So do what you can, but know this. The safety net is that I will have to give an account. So this keeps me from running further than what I should. Young people, parents want to trust you. They really do. They want to see you grow up to be mature adults. And so during your teenage years, ideally the leash is getting longer and longer. They're going to let you do things that they didn't let you do when you were younger. But there's this idea that there has to be trust that's there. And your parents need to know that you are fearing God and walking in obedience to them. So at some point, I don't know when it's going to happen. At some point, you're going to have a green light to go out on a date with the opposite sex. What's going to keep you from crossing that sinful line with them? Okay, God has wired you to have an attraction to the opposite sex. At some point, they're going to say, it's okay, you know, you guys can go do this on your own. We don't have to be there for everything. What keeps you from crossing the line is, God, I am ultimately accountable to you in all of this. You've been given life by God, but here is this safety net Enjoy your life right, right now by just simply remembering God has given me the capacity for joy and someday I have to answer to him for what I do with my life. All right, third, enjoy life by putting away anxiety. You see this in verse 10. He's told, young man, rejoice in the days of your youth. Remember that God's going to bring you into judgment. Look at verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. Uh, that word vexation in the ESV could be translated or understood as anxiety. Put away anxiety from your heart and put away pain from your body. Uh, young people, are you wrestling with anxiety right now? Are you uh, fearful of what might be coming? 
Right now, you could be anxious about what another person said to you or how they're thinking about you. You could be anxious about whether or not your parents are going to resolve the conflict that's between them. You could be anxious about your body and whether or not you're going to have the appearance that is pleasing to the world. You could be anxious about how you maybe made a terrible play on your sports team this last week and you're wondering, what is the team going to be thinking about me? Or you're in a play or in a music program. There are so many things in life to be anxious about. And the reason that we are anxious about things is that we think we can really control all of life. And so we try so hard to control all the small details in our lives, and then we wake up someday, and it's not how we want it. Anxiety is this idea that if I could, it would be different, but because I can't right now, I'm going to worry about it. I've had my seasons of anxiety and fear. Solomon says, remove it, cut it off, get it away from you. The psalmist says in Psalm 127 verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, eating the bread of anxiety, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Um, anxiety is not an act of obedience to the Lord. It's actually me saying, I'm not trusting you. I'm trying to control this right now. Jesus teaches his disciples about anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. And parents, I want to give you a little shout out here because the world is missing the biblical answer, answer on how to deal with anxiety. There's so many wrong biblical or worldviews, but here is a biblical answer to anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, an extended passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. I mean, these are things, young people, that you wrestle with. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Okay, so here are these birds that are flying around, and who knows where their next meal is going to come from? They don't know how the bills are going to be paid. They don't know how everything is going to be taken care of. God takes care of it for them. That's the idea. God takes care of the birds. Are you not of more value than they? So which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, will anxiety actually help you extend your life at all? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so he's saying, the flowers are taken care of. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or how will this situation work out, or what will so-and-so think of me? Will my parents work this thing out? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But here's the answer to anxiety. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. How is it that a Christian is supposed to remove anxiety or remove vexation from his heart? Jesus, to his disciples, said, in light of all of this anxiety, I want you to do one thing. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. So what does that mean? All right, you've got this term kingdom here. In a kingdom, you have a king. Seek the, the kingdom of God. Seek God as your king. This king has authority. And so what you're aiming to do is, no matter what's going on in life, all of this stuff is busy over here and it's, it's causing me to worry. What should I be focused? Should I be focused on that? What you need to do right now is focus on how I can be obedient to the king. How can I seek the kingdom of God? It's, I'm aiming to be obedient. So you've got this anxiety about school. You don't know how the grades are going to turn out. What are you supposed to do, young person? You're supposed to do what God has told you. Okay, I'm going to study. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to follow Christ through the hallways. I'm going to speak like a Christian. Or you're concerned about what's happening at home. Okay, God has told me what to do. I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to trust God for the relationship with my parents. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm not going to aim to grumble and complain. In all of these things, what you're doing is you're saying the situation that I want to control is actually outside of my control, but what I can do is I can walk in obedience to the Lord, and that's what God calls me to. So get my mind off the circumstances and get my eyes on him. That's how we put away anxiety. That's step number one. Remove anxiety from your life by pursuing God and trusting him. And parents... One of the things that you need to teach your kids is that circumstances don't, like, remove anxiety all the time. What is it? it? It is getting a gaze on the Lord and walking through those circumstances. You know that when they fly the coop someday and they're out on their own, there's going to be circumstances that are bigger than them. So you have to teach them how to seek the kingdom of God wherever they're at, no matter what's going on. They have to seek the authority of Christ wherever they are. Second is by pursuing God in prayer. Pursuing God in prayer. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now that just comes down like a load of bricks. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So young people, the way to enjoy life properly is to remember who God is, pursuing him in prayer. He's the one who is in control of your life. 
And so you have this situation that you can't control. You can't control your friend's perception of you all the time. You can't control whether they're going to let you in or cut you out. You can't control the situation at your job right now with your peers there. But what you can do is go to the Lord in prayer about that. And so you're constantly bringing it to God who loves his children. He's saying, you know, you've got burdens. Cast your burdens upon me because I care for you. It's First Peter. You might say, I know, but it's not that easy. We all get that. We wish we could throw the switch and just be done with anxiety. It's not that easy just to turn off my worries at night. I've been anxious over many things, wrongfully anxious. And instead of keeping my eyes, I was keeping my eyes on the people. Instead of keeping my eyes on God, it was on the circumstances. I'm trying to solve everything. But you put your anxiety away by bringing yourself to the Lord, seeking to walk in obedience to him and pray. So one of the verses that I've fallen asleep to uh, over the years when I've been worried about something is just this Proverbs 3, 5, where he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And you know that next phrase, do not lean on your own understanding, because that's where we're at when we're anxious about things. We're constantly leaning on our own understanding. So trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So instead of counting sheep, or whatever you do to fall asleep at night, just repeat Proverbs 3, 5. I've prayed about it. Lord, I'm going to seek you. And now this is going to be the truth that I want to fall asleep with. I'm going to trust in you with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. So young people, enjoy life by putting away anxiety. Number four, young person, enjoy life by remembering your creator. Enjoy life by remembering your creator. Okay, so chapter 12, he's told us to enjoy things, and now he comes back in verse 1 with, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And the idea of remember here is not simply something in your mind that happened to you way in the distant past, and you recall it right now, and you sort of think about it, and then forget about it for a month or so, and then recall it again. Uh, To remember this term in the Bible, to remember something, is to keep it in the front of your mind. It's to dwell on it. It's to intentionally think, God, you are the creator. You are the creator of all things. You are the creator of all circumstances. You are the creator of me, and I am in your hand right now. So what does God want you to remember about your life and him as the creator. So here you are, you're going on through life. He's the creator, he's big, he's sovereign, he's in control of all things. Now notice what he connects to remembering your creator. He goes through a long list, so I'm just gonna go through it and maybe make a few comments on him as we go. He says, remember your creator before the evil days come. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return. After the rain. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. So young people, 
you've seen elderly people in their 80s, and oftentimes what happens to their back? They curl over and they start to bend. The next phrase, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the grinders cease because they are few. This is a little Hebrew idiom talking about the molars in people's mouth. And people chew with their molars, but remember Solomon's day, they didn't have false teeth. What happens to old people's grinders? They start to fall out. They can't chew on their teeth as well, or they can't chew their food as well. Those who look through the windows are dimmed, their eyes dim. Verse 4, the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, you can't hear them chewing anymore now. One rises up at the sound of a bird. You've heard old people say, oh, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. The, the birds were just making noise, and now I couldn't go back to sleep. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. You've heard an old person say, I don't want to get up on that ladder anymore. And terrors are in the way. Look at this one, verse 5. The almond tree blossoms. This is one that you can joke with your parents about. What's the almond tree blossoms? Uh, If you were to see an almond tree on the horizon, it has all of these white blossoms all over it. And again, it was one of these sort of Hebrew idioms, these Hebrew sayings about how people and their hair turn gray. And so a gray-haired person, you could say, yeah, your your almonds are blossoming up there. You you know, it's uh, pretty light-colored up there, Dad. I'm starting to get some. He goes on to say, the grasshopper drags itself along. You think about a grasshopper that... You walk up on it, and it jumps, and it can spring three, four, five feet, and it just moves quickly. Now you see a grasshopper that is dragging itself along. Desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. The mourners go about the streets. A funeral is happening. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. And so... All of these are useful instruments uh, in everyday life. And if you, you break the golden or drop the golden bowl or drop the cistern, it's, it's useless. It's done. It's finished. And so you've got these things that are taking place. The dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Okay, so he gets to the end and he's like, This word vanity, remember, it's the word breath. It's the word vapor. It's something that you can't hold on to. It's going to leave you. It doesn't have this idea of being pointless so much. Life is not pointless, but you can't hold on to it forever. And so when you look at life, young people, Solomon is saying, hey, remember your creator in the days of your youth. God is good. He is the sovereign one. He's the one who's in control of all things. If you're worried and anxious about things, like turn to your creator before it's too late. Life can't be held on to uh, forever. So what should you do? Be joyful. You should be joyful right now. 
If there's complaining and grumbling, you should put it away. You should be joyful because of who God is. And so you keep coming back to this truth of, I need to remember the truth. I need to remember what is right. I need to remember what God has given to me. And so my joy is connected to how I'm remembering God regularly. So there's a man by the name of Scott Bolzan. Some of you football trivia people might have remembered the name. He was running a jet management company in 2009 after he had retired. He was 46 at the time when he walked down the hall to the bathroom at his company. And while heading to the restroom, he failed to see a small pool of very thin oil on the floor. So he stepped in it, and the last thing that he remembered were his feet up in the air. He went unconscious for a while. Uh, When his eyes opened up, he remembers seeing a pretty woman standing over him, asking him if he was okay. Who who she was, he didn't know. Soon he found out that this was his wife. Scott couldn't remember his own wife, uh, to whom he had been married for for more than 25 years. He didn't remember his kids. One of his children was stillborn, didn't remember that. He couldn't remember his work. He was a lineman in the NFL, couldn't remember his years uh, playing football. He didn't remember college. Everything from his previous 46 years of life had been lost. So his his wife would place pictures of the kids in front of him. He said, it's, I don't remember. Um, Things at college were put in front of him, didn't remember. He was taken to the place where he proposed to his wife under a tree. He didn't remember it. Vacations, good memories, all of these things, just hoping that it would trigger a memory, but he couldn't remember anything. As doctors studied his case, they ran scans of his brain, and what they found was that on the right side of his brain, there is a place where long-term memory is stored, and it was not receiving blood like it should. It was shot, all because blood was not flowing to that place in the brain. His memory was gone. Now, young people, Solomon is saying, remember. Remember. Remember that you're not always going to be young. Remember to put away anxiety. Remember your creator. Our lives have this tendency to sort of lose the memory, to remember what the Bible tells us. And so in closing, what are four practical applications that you can do to pursue joy by remembering God? Four practical applications. Number one is this. First off, are you a Christian? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and not simply for the forgiveness of your sins, but when you receive Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you and convicts you and helps you and encourages you along in life. The very first thing that you need to be able to grapple with and answer honestly this morning is, am I a Christian? Have I trusted in Jesus Christ and do I have this relationship with God? And if not, why not today? Why not turn from your sins, repent of them, and trust in Christ as your Savior? Second is this. Spend regular time with God. Uh, By spending regular time with God, I'm, I'm asking the question to you, do you 
open up the word of God on a daily basis? Um, Do you spend time reading his word for a few minutes each day and spend time in prayer bringing your anxieties, bringing your worries to him? By personally spending time in the word each day and spending time in prayer, what you're doing is you're actively remembering, you're calling to mind, you're bringing God front and center to your life and you're saying, okay, Lord, you are front and center. I'm going to dig in to my relationship with you. Third is this. Be involved in the life of your church. I know that many of you are in youth group. Many of you are in small groups in, your, in the youth group. And your leaders are aiming to encourage you to keep God central in your life and to walk with him. Are you participating in the life of the church? And folks, this is not just for young people. By participating in the life of the church, you're opening yourself up for more conversation with other believers who are going to remind you about who God is. He's, they're going to bring God front and center. In the life of the church, we participate in communion. One of the verses that comes to mind about remembrance is the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Jesus, Paul, recounting Jesus, said this, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay, so what does this have to do with? You know how Solomon is saying, remember God, remember God, remember God. God has given us all regular rhythms to practice in order to remember him. And one practice is the practice of communion. We partake of the Lord's Supper to actively remember what Jesus has done for us so that we might have this thriving relationship with God. And so participate in the life of the church, both with people around you and then with the regular ordinances that God has given you. He has ordained that communion be practiced for the sake of remembering. All right, so we've got three steps, fourth and last, is simply this, obedience. I read this passage earlier from John 15, verses 10 and 11. Where Jesus said this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in him and that your joy may be full. Solomon is saying, be joyful, rejoice. And Jesus is saying this, here is the steps forward for joy. I have given you the path forward, these commands from God, they are for your good. And so, young people, you look at your relationship with God, and sometimes you look at obedience, and you're like, man, that does not look enjoyable. Trust the word of God that by walking in obedience to Scripture, walking in obedience to God, he will meet you where you're at, and your joy will be full. Rejoice. Have joy this week by remembering who God is what he's done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have designed us and created us with a capacity for joy. And you've given us a path forward now with it. And so we ask that as we go into our week this week, you would give us conviction, um, memory, 
to walk in obedience to your word. I pray for the young people of our church and just ask that you would cultivate a deepening faith in their own hearts. As they face many firsts in life, God, we pray that you would give them the conviction to hold on to you and to trust you and to walk in obedience to you so that their joy might be full. I pray for your continued work through the youth ministry and the children's ministry. We ask that your word would go forth very clearly. Please give Pastor Luke increasing wisdom and and direction there. We pray for the parents of our young people and ask that you would give them wisdom as they aim to raise children to walk in obedience to you. But Lord, we just ask that you would work in the hearts of our young people. Please grow their faith deeper and deeper. With your heads bowed, will you just talk to the Lord in the quietness of your heart? And then I'll come back and pray. God, we thank you for your word, and again, we ask that you will lead us into our week, Uh, your word being a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.